Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. For me, what, what, the, what Harbaugh brings to the table is a problem solver. And he's going to make them tougher. And he's going to give them the team. He's, and he's going to give them the ingredients they need. And that culture in the Chargers will change. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. Mike, we don't even have time to waste here because last night we got the big news that the Chargers, who's got it better than the Los Angeles Chargers? They're hiring Jim Harbaugh to be their head coach. We felt that this was coming. He was the odds-on favorite in the betting market at our show sponsor, DraftKings. And now Los Angeles lands the big hire of this coaching carousel so far. Well, you got to give the Chargers credit. I mean, you know, look, if you're competing against Sean Payton and you're competing against Andy Reid, you better bring somebody to the table who's got a track record. And, you know, Jim has a track record, 71% winning percentage with the 49ers, took them to a Super Bowl, won a national championship at Michigan, turned that program around, uh, turned Stanford's program around, turned the University of San Diego. So, yeah, I mean, this is a great hire. I mean, Jim is – it's funny on Twitter – they were talking about Jim being a Jim uh, a Rockford Files fan and, Rock, and Jim Rockford's daughter who is on Twitter and puts out pictures of him. I, I sent him a text saying, all you need now is the trailer in Malibu. You'll be perfect. It's outstanding, you know, and get that trailer in Malibu, you know, charge 200 a day plus expenses and turn around the chargers. One thing he's going to do, he's going to make them tough, right? Yep. I mean, Harbaugh is the most competitive human you're ever going to meet in your life. And I think his brother – really shed some light into who he is, right? Like everybody thinks because he played quarterback in the NFL that he's an offensive play caller. He, he 
He's not. He's a strategist. He builds the team. He creates the culture. And he lets his coaches, who he holds accountable. See, Jim's truly a head coach. Jim's going to hold coaches accountable. He's going to make sure they do their job. And he's going to do his job. And he doesn't try to get into the minutia of, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's what I want to do. He knows what's going on on the offensive side. But his skill set is one of making the team tough, bringing mental toughness to the team, you know, understanding how to strategize the game. So, you know, what they've hired is a strategist. In the past, the Chargers have been on that tactician role. Staley, a tactician, right? Anthony Lynn, a tactician. This will be a first time that they've moved to Los Angeles where they actually have a strategist where they can compete against Andy Reid, compete against, uh, you know, compete against uh, Sean Payton. I, and, and we could talk about it. I mean, to me, the Raiders and Tom Telesco as the new GM and Antonio Pierce, they got their work cut out for them. They're going to have their work cut out for them because, you know, everybody can embrace the hiring. Everybody can embrace the changes in, in Las Vegas. The competition in the West is on a coaching level is really, really high. And as a football fan, I'm just happy to see Harbaugh back into the NFL because, I mean, like growing up, you see captain come back. You think of him as an NFL quarterback. And obviously his role with San Francisco had a lot of success. He's just an interesting personality that I think the NFL was missing when he went back to Michigan. And obviously going back to the alma mater, that's a special time for him winning the national title in his last game as well. But I'm just excited to see him back in the NFL and in the mix with these Hall of Fame head coaches like Andy Reid, like Sean Payton. But one thing that I wanted to bounce off you, because you mentioned that he He's a guy who coaches his coaches. And one thing I was listening to is Daniel Jeremiah over at the NFL Network. He said that the one thing that Harbaugh is really, really good at, among other things, but he's really, really good at scouting coaching talent. And when you look mm-hmm. back at his track record, you see a lot of these coaches, whether it was Fangio when it was with him in, in San Francisco and, and Greg Roman was with him as well. And then at Michigan, I mean, Mike McDonald, we've been raving about him all postseason long. He was the D.C. at Michigan. Now everyone's raving about Jesse Minter and all these guys that were the D.C. at Michigan. Like, like he's been really good at getting those coaches to do and kind of implement his philosophy of toughness, which is why he's had success everywhere he's gone. Well, they also benefit from his mental and physical toughness that he brings to the team and the connectivity that he brings to the team. You know, the part of being a head coach is to hold the coaches accountable. I've said this many times, right? The head coach's job is to demand from the assistants or else you don't get better in the season. You don't improve during the year. You know, if, if the head coach isn't monitoring the, the, the every four weeks, what do we have to do to get better? What do we have to do? I think we're really seeing it clearly and what Andy Reid's done since Christmas Day to where Andy Reid is as we tape this on a Thursday before the championship weekend, what he's done with his team has improved it. You know, he's improved his offensive line tremendously. And so that's the job of a head coach is you're the guy who's got to fix the problems. And if you're so busy with your head in your play sheet, if you're so busy calling plays, you're not aware of the problems. And you're not aware of the player that you have to develop in September, who's going to help you win games in December. And I think that that's what they're going to get. Look, this is going to be, look, I've never thought, you know, there's all this conversation about how, how talented the Chargers are. You know, they have talented players. I'm not sure they were talented. They had the depth and some guys, you always, they, they love small school guys and the guys you never heard of. But what I will say is if you add a layer of toughness to this team, physicality, uh, they're going to improve because they have a great quarterback. You can kill the kid because he hasn't won. You could say he doesn't lead his team from behind. I think what you're going to learn here is what I know 
and with all those idiots that keep posting the Belichick record without Brady, what you're going to learn is the coach has as much to do with winning as the great quarterback. Because as Josh Allen, we learned, he hasn't won anything, right? That team, I love it the other day, somebody wrote on Twitter, I, don't, I forget who the hell it was, is, but the, the Bills are really, it's one of the greatest myths in the league. The Bills are one of the least talented teams with, with a great quarterback. They'd be picking in the top 10 if, if they had Mac Jones. I mean, they're just not a great team. Watch the tape. They got, they got the shit kicked out of them by the Chiefs up front, the defensive line. They can talk about Ed Oliver being a top five defensive tackle. Watch that tape and tell me. Like, they got pushed around bad. Averaged 6.1 yards per attempt in a game, right? Last year, they, aver- they gave up 5.1 to three backup linemen with the Bengals, who don't even want to run the ball. So don't yeah. tell me how talented they are. Like, we have such a problem in this league of overset. The, the, the Cowboys are talented. No, they're not. The Cowboys underachieved. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. The Cowboys overachieved, frankly, considering where their offensive line was, considering what their defensive line was, considering their secondary, they really kind of overachieved for where they got to. You know, the Philly, like the Eagles, they misevaluated their team. They didn't over or underachieve. Their team got older, and the head coach never really fixed the issue. So for me, what, what, the, what Harbaugh brings to the table is a problem solver, and he's going to make them tougher. And he's going to give them the, the, the team, he's, and he's going to give them the ingredients they need. And that culture in the Chargers will change. The other thing I think it's pretty clear, and I've been studying the final four teams here for the last three days, uh, everybody talks about player-friendly. Everybody talks about you got to have, you know, you, you can't work the players too hard. Everybody talks about the strength coach has got to have days you rest the players, yada, yada, yada. The final four teams – the final four teams are all don't do that. All don't do that. One team has a seventh-round pick at quarterback. One team has a first overall pick at quarterback. One team has the tenth pick in the draft, right, at quarterback. You know, the, the other team has the 32nd pick in the draft at quarterback. They all work on fundamentals and techniques. They all get better during the season. They all have practices, right? That, that's, that's never going away. That's never going away. I did a speech yesterday in Austin about the books and, and, and what I've written about. And this was a comp- two companies were merging together. And, and the, the tenets of what wins championship, championship teams, are never going out of style. They're never going out of style. What's going out of style is maybe how you get to point A to point B. But what wins consistently in the National Football League is what will always win. And these owners that keep trying to hire tacticians in a strategy league are going to continue to flounder. Yeah, everybody wants the, the early 40s, late 30s play call. Oh, they're all looking. Somebody sent me a text the other day. They said, everybody's looking for the next Sean McVay. Yeah. You know, and like that, what Belichick's way of doing business is over with. Like he's fucking Don Corleone and, and they're all Virgil Salazzo telling me that, you know, the old man's lost it. No, he didn't. He fucking outfoxed your ass. You might have shot him eight times in front of a, a fruit stand, but he came back. He knew it. You know, like, no, Jim Harbaugh. You think Jim Harbaugh's style and Belichick's style are different? Come on. No. They're the same. They both demand on the coaches, have accountability in the program, understand how to build a team, operate the team in three dimensions, right? We don't even know if J.J. McCarthy's elite. Jim thinks he is, yeah. but the way they've run their offense around them, it's hard to tell. It's a little bit like Michael Jordan when he was at the at the at, the, at, at Carolina. You know, yeah, he's really talented, but how talented, right? 
So I think to me, that's the biggest crock of shit. And these owners are just picking people to call plays. And that's great. That's great. There's the next Sean McVay tactician. That's hard to find another Sean McVay. It is. He, he seems to be one of one. But it's like you said, the owners, they listen to a lot of these insiders and, and pick their brains to see about who they should well, hire. Well, listen, to, you, you can really see the analytical community has really influenced these owners. And it gives them, and, and again, I'm not against analytics. And we wrote about this for the Daily Coach today. Uh, and Roger Martin, who's one of the great leading forefront business owners, talks about it based on what Aristotle said. And, you know, I think to me, there is a place to analyze certain things that will never change. But things that are rapidly changing is really the most difficult thing to, to analyze and to use past data. Like, for example, we're getting ready to talk about these conference championship games. We're talking about you know, the Baltimore Ravens against Patrick Mahomes. Well, this Baltimore Ravens version is completely different than any version that played against them in the past. It's completely different. Like, the past has nothing to do on this present. It's, it's, it's basically you're just reading false notes. I really think, to me, the owner that decides to become the, the instrument of change, that demands change, that says, okay, look, everybody's doing this. We need to go back to that. I think they're going to be the one that wins. I mean, and we talked about that in depth on Monday's pod about, hey, you got to zig when others are zagging, going up against the grain here. Uh, before we head to break there, real quick on Harbaugh, he gets a five-year contract. They don't have a general manager in place, so this is going to be sort of the similar setup that we saw when the Niners hired Kyle Shanahan. The GM is going to work for Jim Harbaugh, and it's going to be Jim Harbaugh's show to run there. And a couple of names that they've gone ahead and interviewed there, Joe Horitz, or uh, Hortiz from the Baltimore Ravens, the director of player personnel, and then also Giants assistant GM Brandon Brown. He's going to interview for that job as well for the Chargers general manager. But like whoever they end up picking, whether it's another person, they're going to be working for Jim Harbaugh. Right. And, and I mean, that's good. And I yep. think that's the way it be. I think Ed Dodds from the Colts will get an interview as well. I think that's good. I, I think to me, that's what you want. He's the leader of the program. And the job of the personnel guy is to get players that fit the profile of what he wants, of what he wants to build the team around. That's the job. Yeah. And we, and we saw him have a lot of success in San Francisco. Things became a power struggle towards the end. He ends up taking the Michigan job. But if the person's working for Harbaugh, you believe that there'll at least be some cohesion. So a, a very good day for Los Angeles Chargers fans as Jim Harbaugh will be their next head coach here in the 2024 season. We'll get to the other coaching news coming up next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So the Chargers have their man, as do the Tennessee Titans, because earlier this week, the Titans hired Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. He will be their next head coach, 39 years old, one of those young offensive uh, coaches, has never been a yeah. play caller, but will look to call the plays here, we believe, with the Tennessee Titans as they try to get the most out of their young quarterback, Will Levis, or maybe they go down a different direction at that position. But uh, your reaction to Brian no. Callahan? No, they're not going down a different direction. This, this Sorry, move got a great is player, all about. This move is all about. <laughs> This is all about we, we're going we're gonna to make Will Levis a player. We hired an offensive coach to do that. And, I, I mean, look, I've watched Brian grow up. Valerie and, Bill, and Brian and Bill Callahan, I've, I've known them for most of my NFL career, the family. And this is a great moment for them to uh, recognize an achievement that, as I keep saying, is harder to get than the United States senator. So hats off to Brian, and, you know, he's worked for some really good people. Now, he won't be able to bring his dad with him, which is probably going to hurt, but his dad will help him get the right offensive line coach that he needs to build the program around. But this is all about Will Levis and the shift in dynamics in terms of, of where this organization is going, you know, and I think the owner made it very clear when she said that they think they have a bright young quarterback in Will Levis, and and she believes in Rand Carthon to run the organization. He's going to have final say over everything, over everything. I mean, so that's where they're going to go. And we'll see if it all kind of works out. It'll be a challenge, you know, because it, it, it's hard. That dynamic, the, when the emperor of a building is in the GM chair, it makes it very hard on the coach, makes it very hard on the coach. Because that, that conflict is built in, right? I draft this guy. I want to make him. you got to make him better. And if it doesn't work, then it's the coaches not making him better. Then it's that constant internal civil war, right? And, you know, and so that's where they are. And they got to see if they can do it. You know, Levis, I don't know. Do you, I would have a hard time believing you can go forward. But it was his first year. You know, it, 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 there were moments that it was – Okay, there were moments it was really bad, but their offensive line was so bad that it was hard to judge anybody. They gave up 64 sacks as a football team. So, you know, I think to me, the, the change in Tennessee is more philosophical than anything, right? No longer are they going to be run the ball, play great defense, win the kicking game, and be timely on play-action pass. That's over. That's over. And so now Carthon is going to have to demonstrate that he understands how to build a team. How does he build a team? And what kind of team does he want to build? It's going to be, that's to me. And if he has say over the coaching staff, which it clearly says in the release, then Brian's going to have to adhere to what he wants to do. So, you know, I, I hope it works out. You know, to me, I think it's going to – somebody's going to have to help without his dad there who was a head coach, right? Somebody in the building is going to have to help Brian develop into becoming a head coach or else he's going to be a, just a tactician.
And at some point, you're going to have to be the head coach. You have to stand in front of the players with confidence and the belief that, you know, you know everything that's going on in the program. And if they think they all work for Rand, man, it's hard. So uh, what you're alluding to is the owner, Amy Adams Trunk, has promoted Rand Carthon to executive vice president slash general manager uh, for the Tennessee Titans. And I do want to read the statement. It's a little bit long, but I think it'll do our viewers some justice here and our listeners. It said, quote, over the past year, Rand has impressed me and our staff with his innovative approach to roster building. Rand's exceptional reputation around the league as a talent evaluator and culture builder was a clear competitive advantage during last year's free agency and draft process, as well as our recent search for a head coach. Simply put, Rand Carthon makes the Tennessee Titans a destination for the league's top talent by expanding his role to include full roster control and oversight of the coaching staff. Our organization will now benefit more completely from Rand's unique unique ability to build and lead a championship caliber football team. So right there, like you mentioned in the statement, it says this guy will Rand Carthon's the Pied Piper in Nashville. Essentially, like everything runs through Rand yeah. Carthon uh, and the head coach, Brian Callahan, in his first year will be answering to Rand Carthon as this kind of a, a young movement there in Nashville. And I'm not saying that it can't work. Maybe it will work. But uh, it, it's yep. an interesting move, though, nonetheless, that Amy Adams Strunk is kind of pushing the chips to the center of the table. So this is really the perfect example of when I talk about in presentations that this is, we are all on the same page, right? Amy Adams just laid out the page. Everybody's on the same page. But what she fails to understand is it's very difficult to achieve alignment with what she just said, because wins and losses come in, right? Wins and losses come in. And when you have one guy running the program who sits in the executive vice president chair, it becomes very challenging in pro football to create alignment. It become I lived it. Okay, I'm not I'm not down on Rand Carthon. I just lived this world with Al Davis. Who, I'll say this. I'll go on out in the limb. Al Davis was more qualified to run that situation than Rand is right now. Rand's a young guy. He's never done this before. Al Davis was a coach. Was a commission. I mean, he was, and it was impossible to do that structure. You can and Brian can ask his dad. Very hard, very hard. So, you know, this, is, this becomes something that we've not seen really work in the NFL. Like, tell me when this works. Tell me when this has worked. I don't know. I, I, I've, I've studied the NFL closely, and I'm not saying that the head coach should pick the players. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is when the GM has control over even the coaching staff, then it becomes a problem then it becomes a little bit of that conflict that's inherently built in. You've basically set the ground rules for a civil war. You've set the ground rules for the coaches and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, and the scouts butting heads. That's what you've done. Like if Bill Walsh were alive today and he read this, he would shake his head. He would just shake his head. And he knows this doesn't work, but she thinks it will. I mean, she was too young to remember that her father had this dynamic with Lad Herzig and the great Mike Holovac, who belongs in the Hall of Fame, great personnel man. And then they had the coach. And they had one of the most talented. If you read any chapter of my book, read the chapter about the Houston Oilers. If you read any of that, you'll see why this doesn't work. Like, this has been proven. But she's not aware of it. She doesn't know it. She's taking advice from the league office, and she's going to put this program in place. And Rand's convinced her that he's the, the guy. The same thing's happening down in Carolina. Now, Carolina might be saying Dan Morgan is really just a byproduct of the Tepper. True. 
I mean, I don't know how Dan Morgan got the job. He yeah. was in every single room. He was he was part of every single decision. And all of a sudden now he comes out as the guru of football operations in Carolina. I mean, I, I'm a little bit, you know, I, you don't need to be Sherlock Holmes to figure this one out now, right? Like a little, that don't make a lot of sense to me. Like, oh, you didn't want to do this, but you know, were you the one screaming the loudest to not change to, to not do it? If you were, then you deserve the job. If you were, then you deserve the job. But if you were a part of it and agreeing and nodding your head and being on the same page, and now all of a sudden, you know, it becomes a little bit of a different situation. So, but look, let's be clear here about the NFL. For all the people that you listen to, and I'm just going to say this very clearly to everybody. The NFL is not about, all these teams are not about winning. Mm. They're not. They're not about winning. They're about self-preservation. They're about the people in the building protecting their job. Uh, the next book I write, I should call it Guard Your Desk. Yeah. A lot of people are guarding their desk. And so naively NFL fans think winning is the most important thing. When in reality, it's not. There's only, there were eight when Bill Walsh tugged my arm and said, we're only competing against eight in 1984. Today, I think it's down to six. That's, I mean, that's, for a lot of fans, I'm sure that's very heartbreaking, but I think that is the reality. And we've seen that in a number of destinations here. And is it for you just the fact that the general manager picking the coaching staff, like does that kind of neuter the head coach a little bit here? Because that's going to be the case in Seattle with John Schneider. Like he's going to be well, picking the coaching staff, but is that a little bit John's different? A little, John, I think John's going to see to me, it, there's only two people in the building that are really about, responsible for winning. It's you and the head coach, the GM, and the head coach. If the head coach isn't demanding from his assistants, right? Like if he's not demanding, so where where everybody misses this, it's everybody thinks this is about power. It's not about power. It's about building culture. It's about player development. Like, how are we going to develop the players if the head coach doesn't demand from the assistants to develop the players? <laughs> See, this is the problem. And I learned this working in, in, in Oakland. You know, Al would bring a player in who could run fast and all that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I can remember we signed this kid, Randall Williams. He was a tight a wide receiver down yeah. at uh, Dallas. He yeah, ran 4-3-3. for the Cowboys. Right? You know, and, and the minute I signed him, you know, I said, we'll never get rid of this guy. Like, he's, we're never going to be able to get rid of him. Because Al's going to watch him, and he's going to make the coaches practice coaching on him. And so the, the, that becomes the conflict, right? We're trying to develop this guy. The guy has no chance to develop. Like, he's not any good. He's not, he can run fast, but he's not a football player. And so when the, when, the, when the general manager is in charge of the coaches, then he's sitting there saying, well, that coach isn't very good. He's not developing the talent. And that may be true. But there's also truth to the coach might not be able to develop him because the player isn't any good. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, It's it, it, just that you're building a system that doesn't work. So if the head coach and you are, you are joined at the hip, and you are working towards an understanding of player development, and you're both on the same philosophical page, and everybody that comes in the building understands it, then, and the coach is leading his staff and demanding from his staff, then I think that works. I think Schneider's smart enough to know in, in, in Seattle that I'll, I'll, I want to be involved with helping you bring guys in the building, but you're going to handle them once they get in the building.
The, the dynamics of an NFL organization, I think, are, are incredibly fascinating. And we'll see how this plays out in Nashville as other places as well here. But before we head to break, did want to mention the Raiders yesterday here locally introduced their general manager, Tom Telesco, who they went ahead and hired. We were curious to see who they would go with, whether it was going to be Dodds or Champ Kelly. It sounds like Champ Kelly might stay with the organization here with Telesco yes, being the general manager. But uh, your well, thoughts here on Telesco. Kind I, think of, what ha- I think what happened was I think – you know, at the end of the day, Mark Davis wanted to, didn't feel Champ Kelly was ready. And I think he wanted to keep Champ Kelly in his building. And I think, you know, they brought Ed Dodds in, you know, and Dodds wants to build his own organization structure from what he wants and probably didn't include Kelly. And I'm sure Telesco said, I'll include Kelly. And I think there was a lot of infighting in there. I think initially there was people that wanted Kelly. And then I think Telesco really became the compromise candidate. And so Tom's got his work cut out for him because he's walking into a really tough situation in terms of understanding with the dynamics within that building. Yeah, well, he's an experienced general manager, so I guess, like well, you somebody, said. I tell you what, if I'm the Raiders, I'd hire Tom Coughlin. Wow, well, I want to uh, ask we'll you We'll pick about, that up on the back. Yeah, let me ask you about that when we come back from the break. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Well, as we were headed to break, Michael, you mentioned that the Raiders should look to hire Tom Coughlin. This would be kind of in like, like a, a president role, as a consultant role. What, what do you what do you have in mind here? What they oh, should do I, with Tom I think Coughlin? On the co- I think if Coughlin, sh- he should be a consultant to Pierce. I mean, they should pay him to because Antonio Pierce is going to need help. And and I, I don't know if what the relationship is between him and Tom Telesco in terms of helping him become a head coach. I mean, you know, this guy's never been a coordinator before let alone be a, I mean, I know he's one in college, but now he's got Marvin Lewis on the staff, which I think certainly will help him. But this is a really tough obstacle you're facing against the level of comp in the West. So, you know, I, I think someone like Coughlin can really help him in terms of understanding the, a lot of organization demanding, watch the tape. What do we need to do? What's the problems moving forward? You know, all those things. That's got to come from the head coach, right? you got to have a real, real understanding of the game. If you're not calling plays, you have to have a real understanding of, of the whole thing, the big picture, right? The big picture. What do we need to do? How do we need to handle it? And, you know, I think to me that, that certainly Tom would help him. I know Marvin on the staff will help him. I mean, Marvin, Marvin would, would probably offset having to bring Tom in because Marvin can at least help him kind of get him to the point where here's what we need to do. I'm telling you, all these guys that get these head coaching jobs, Brian Callahan, Antonio Pierce with no experience, the, and the organization just doesn't give them anybody to help them. Like, you know, I mean, you, it, it's a hard job to learn on the job. It's impossible to learn on the job. And there should be some kind of way. It happens in college. All these colleges hire these search firms. They put the coach in place, and then they all leave. 
you know, who's helping the coach win? Who's helping the coach prepare? So, like, whereas we're going to, you know, like Sirianni just admitted that he's now going to go back to or he is now going to become the CEO of the football operations, right? Don't we mm-hmm. have that? We, you have that quote there, we Femi? Do, yeah, we do have that clip there, and we can play this sound real quick. There, He was asked by the Philadelphia media saying, okay, like, essentially, what is it that you're going to do here in 2024? Here's what Sirianni had to say. What is your role going to be? The head coach of and the football team. What does that entail? How, how does it change? Yeah, um, I guess, what you know, it'd be this very similar to what's going on right now. Um, you know, does that mean I'll sit more into defensive meetings at times? Maybe, right? Instead of always being in an offensive meeting, maybe I go to a defensive meeting here and there. Um, but my job is to be the head coach of the team, not the head coach of the offense, not the head coach of the defense, not the head coach of the special teams, but be the, be the head coach of the football team. To be honest, he's, yeah, he's going to be the CEO. Yeah, but going to the meetings doesn't make you the head coach. Going, that doesn't make you the head coach. What makes you the head coach of the football team is philosophically, what do you want? It's your team. What do you want to do? Now, you know, Vic's going to come in there, which, you know, we talked about it last year. They wanted Vic. You know, the Vic wasn't, I mean, you talk about oil and water. I mean, Miami hired Vic. You knew that wasn't going to, I mean, how many times in this summer did we say, at what point is Vic going to go over there and go berserk, right? We kind of mm-hmm. knew this was going to happen, right? Like, Mike McDaniel's got his way. Vic's got his way. I don't know if that was ever. It was never going to work, right? And after a year, it's a divorce. You know, it's it's like the Brendan and Eddie song and fucking scenes from an Italian restaurant. You know, it's over, man. After the summer of 75, it ended, right? You knew that was coming. Uh, I, I, and so, but what I don't think Nick really understands is his job is to be the, to hold everybody to the philosophy of what we're trying to get accomplished, that's his job. Just because you go into a meeting doesn't mean shit. You're as the head coach. You're the CEO of all the operations. You tie everything together. You anticipate the problems. You you do the things that you have to do for the practice schedule. You make sure everybody's on this alignment in terms of where we're going, how we're going to play the game on Sunday. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to play the game. This is what we got to call the game. This is what we want to do. You're not specifically calling plays, but you're setting out the strategy for the game. But if you take the approach, you're the head coach and you're still a tactician, you're going to go listen to meetings, you know, players aren't going to buy that. You know, the players aren't going to buy that. you got to be able to stand in front of the team and say, okay, here's how we're going to win the game this week, guys. Here's what we're going to do on offense. Here's what we're going to do on defense. Here's what we're going to do in the kicking game. Here's how we're going to win the game. Yeah, anticipating problems is where the Eagles failed this year there after the 10-1. Oh, miserably. Yeah. Miserably. Like, that. nobody in the Philadelphia media, I don't know if they asked them that, but like, like, wh- at what point did you realize that your practice habits, your pad level, your conditioning was shitty and that it was never going to get better? At what point did you realize that you had a fundamental issue within your team? Now, you, you can, in defense of Nick, the team, got, the team was old. The team's old. And the team's slow on defense, right? Yeah. You know, we, we've said that. I mean, the team's old, slow, all that stuff. But, you know, oh, I just got this on here. I love this one. The Eagles have requested an interview with Kellen Moore for their OC job. Mm. Ah, joystick in Philadelphia. I can't wait. (laughs) Maybe we'll go get some revenge against the Cowboys. Maybe that's what's going on here. They interviewed Kingsbury, I believe, as well. His name has been surfacing a little bit. He interviewed with Chicago. They ended up going with Shane Waldron. But Kingsbury got interviewed in Philly. But how about Joystick, our our guy? Maybe he's going to go over to Philadelphia. look, Look, I think to me, I think Joystick interviewed with Cleveland as well. 
I think to me, yeah, Brian Johnson's interview in Cleveland too. He got fired at, in Philly and, 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 and an hour later he's interviewing for another OC job. Uh, I think to me, if you're going to hire somebody for Jalen Hurts, you better make sure they have an extensive run game and a play-action pass game. Because when Hurts was great, when he was running and operating well, that's what he does. That's his strength. That's why you paid him all that money. If you think he's coming in and running a horizontal read program and, you know, all that, uh, I think you better want to consider that. His legs, his six-back attack is what you have to do. Now, where they get that from, I don't know. And maybe Kellen Moore has that in his in his dossier. I don't know. We'll find but out. You want to talk about oil and water, Kellen Moore and Vic on the staff. Kellen's calling 75 passes and, you know, Vic doesn't get any runs and his defense is on the field all the time. Oh, that ain't going to be good. I don't see that one being fun. Vic made a couple of cameos in the in-season hard knocks there well, for the Miami Dolphins, but you could tell Vic wanted no parts of those cameras <laughs> hanging out No there. part. He wanted no parts of that, but it was a fun season nonetheless there. I do want to go back to Pierce, though, because let me play the role of, of Las Vegas Raiders fan, which I am not, but they're obviously all around us here in Las Vegas. If For the Raiders' perspective, why can't this, with Antonio Pierce, work out the way it worked out for the Detroit Lions hiring Dan Campbell? Like, kind of being that motivational head coach. And, yeah, you're going to want to surround him with some other coordinators and people who can help develop him as a head coach. But why can't, just based on what we saw in the nine games that he was the interim, when guys were playing for him, they were going to bats, pounding the table, saying, we want him as the head coach. Why can't that work out how Campbell worked out for the Lions as they're getting ready to play in the NFC title game? Well, I think Campbell had more experience. He was around Bill Parcells, so he's got that background. Uh, you know, he coached in the league, you know, a longer time. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's what you're trying to hope for. I think Campbell came in with a with an identity, right? Campbell came in with an identity. Campbell came in with a uh, a style. Uh, but, again, it's it's your, what is your knowledge? And Campbell, you know, had interviewed for other head coaching jobs as well. So, you know, I mean, I think it, it, what you're saying is true. You know, I mean, if you want to be, and I'm not saying Pierce won't work. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. Um, you know, but the other thing, I think Campbell, when he struggled, we got rid of, he got rid of when they changed offense, Anthony Lynn. Yep. Remember, Campbell took over the play calling in his first year. He did. Yeah. He took over the play call. When they fired, they didn't fire Lynn, they demoted Lynn. He took the play calling over. So he's actually run a team, offensive team before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Campbell, obviously, he played for Parcells and the Cowboys, and then obviously went ahead and uh, was with them in Miami, then was an assistant for Sean Payton in New Orleans. So he had experience under a lot of, like, really good head coaches. Um, right. Pierce, well, Pierce was coming from college. That's why I think it's – and the thing you got to like about Pierce is the fact that he's willing to listen to people, right? So he's yeah. not afraid that he doesn't know. That's going to be the key for him. you got to be willing to say, okay, here's where I am. Yeah, there's no insecurities there for Antonio Pierce. He's willing to take all sorts of advice there as he uh, goes on this mission as Raiders head coach. Uh, we have a few minutes left. Joe Barry, he's been dismissed as the Packers oh defensive God. coordinator. Oh, my God. Big Daddy. <laughs> he takes full credit for it, by the way. Full credit. I Maybe mean, he deserves full it. Full credit. Maybe he deserves yeah, it. Yeah, you know, they should bring him back to Green Bay and have a parade for him because he takes full credit for screaming to the top of his lungs. Look, I, I think to me – what we saw, this is really going to be an interesting moment in Green Bay's time period, right? Back in the year 83, when I first got in the league, somebody told me this. You know, there were four really hot coaches in the National Football League at the time. Dan Henning, John Makovic, Mike Ditka, 
and uh, Dan Reeves. Dick and Reeves were on the Cowboys staff, and they were the assistants that had played in the league, had coached in the league, and they were ready to become head coaches. Henning was with Gibbs, and he had had this great reputation for being this offensive guru. And Makovic was the, the, the he was the Brendan Staley, the, the, the analytical thought process guy, and with an unbelievable one at Wake Forest, went to the Cowboys as the OC, got to Dallas, and the next thing you know, he's the head coach. Well, what happened was, when you break down what, what their careers were, and a little bit of this is probably they weren't really great head coaches to begin with, but can't. But Henning couldn't fix the defense, and neither could Makovic. Whereas Reeves inherited Joe Collier in Denver, and Dick inherited Buddy Ryan, and they got their careers going. Same thing with Andy Reid. Andy Reid comes to Philadelphia. He hires Jim Johnson, great hire. But mm-hmm. then he struggled, and then he struggled. And then finally when he got Spagnola, he got that going, right? And then he struggled when Spagnola left. So, like, for LaFleur, this is really a moment of I, I could probably be the Packer coach for the next 10 years. I got to find my Fritz Shermer. Mike Holmgren had Fritz Shermer, right? I got to find my Fritz Shermer. And you say, well, you know, where is that guy? I think to me, whether he hired Martindale, if he brought Mike Zimmer in, I mean, that's what he's looking for, an older guy who understands the league, who can coach the team, who can develop players, and kind of give him that kind of uh, maturity to grow as a head coach, right? That's what he needs. And, and he's got to remove his ego. And I know he's upset that they fired Barry, and that he'll say he fired him, but he loved Barry. He did. But he's had two now defense coordinators that have not been the best choices on his part. And I think, to me, if he makes this hire, I think the next 10 years the Packers can be really good, really good. But this is the defining moment of what he's going to do. And if he gets it right, God bless. Yeah. If he no. gets it wrong, he's going to get his ass fired. No, I, I think it's a really attractive defensive coordinator job as well because contrary to what Big Daddy says, there's some players that have talent on that yeah, defense I mean, as look, we've seen. Big Daddy specializes in complaining and blaming, right? If he can't complain, he's blaming. If he can't blame, he's complaining. That's his life. (laughs) We can't blame Joe Barry anymore since he is now out in Green Bay. We'll wrap things up on the other side. The Atlanta Falcons have been busy this coaching carousel. They've interviewed 14 candidates for the head Mm -hmm. coaching job, most recently Mike Vrabel in person down there in Atlanta. But I've been wondering to myself, and as many other people have wondered this as well, what's going on with Bill Belichick? Because he's done two interviews with the Atlanta Falcons. That's the only team that he's been reported to have interviewed with. I don't know what else is out there, but do you think that where where, where are we at with the timeline here for Bill Belichick and also the Atlanta Falcons? I, I love this. Like they interviewed Bill Belichick, like, Who's interviewing Bill Belichick? Who would know enough about football to interview interview Bill Belichick? You think like Dan Morgan, you know, the G, new president of the Panthers. Could you imagine him interviewing Bill Belichick? What do you think that might look like? I think what's going on in Atlanta is they're doing a thorough search. I mean, I think to me there's probably resistance within the building of bringing him in because we know this. People guard their desk. They don't want that. You know, it would mean a change of a lot of ways of doing business for a lot of people. And I think Arthur Blank has to weigh those changes and see what he wants to do. 
You know, to me, I, I don't understand how it's taken this long. You know, I don't understand how, you know, there's not more teams interested, but I think it's the way of the league right now. It's the league doesn't most doesn't want to hand over an organization to one guy. I mean, think about it. Mike Mike Rabel's on his second interview, right? Or his third. I think to me, people are intimidated by the knowledge and they're intimidated by what they perceive as the power surge when it's really a culture surge. Like to win in the NFL, you have to have a team that operates on three levels and all together. And I'm not sure that everybody's willing to give up their role to do that. Well, I mean, I, like you, it goes back to what you said that not everybody is in it to Nobody. win it. It's all about guarding your desk because I'm like, it, this guy has won a million games. He's won six Super Bowls. Like it's a no brainer for me, but maybe not everybody is well, about but, but for people in the building. They could say, well, you know, he, he doesn't get along. And, you know, he's the media, you know, because he's not media friendly. The media is not out there saying why like this. Like, actually, I think Antonio Pierce and Champ Kelly had a stronger campaign to keep their jobs than the media has on Belichick. Now, there's people in the media that understand, like, this is ridiculous. Like, is there a better – there's people in the league that I get texts from. Like, are you serious that they're, they're taking this long to hire them? But that's because they work in another organization. Like, it's not that complicated. It's not. It's really not. It's really not. But people make it to be. Look, Tom Brady had one suitor when he came out. Yeah. <laughs> Which is it's mind-boggling. Oh, by the way, I mean, how about the the Brock Purdy telling everybody that hey, uh, Kyle Shanahan said we, we we might go get Tom Brady. Just FYI, that's a that's a whole other thing. It's a whole other podcast though uh, for that one. But yeah, it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when greatness is out there on the open market. It's unprecedented, and the fact that teams aren't fighting hand over fist to try to go ahead and get him. Hey, yeah, I don't run an NFL team, so what can I say? Uh, all right, Michael, let's get to a new segment here on the GM Shuffle podcast. Here, thanks to our friends at Bear. This is the Bear Heart racing moments and we're going to go ahead and look back at some moments from the divisional round and how we can spin it forward into what we think will happen up coming up later on in the championship round here but your bear heart racing moment comes from last saturday night's game between the packers and the 49ers and it was brock purdy struggled throughout the game but made one of the big plays of the game yeah i mean you know when when you sat there and he throws that deep ball over the middle to jennings for the big catch you know kind of i think it was the third down play where he makes that catch and they get to keep their drive going. You know, it's third and 10. Now, eventually they had a punt on that drive. They eventually sputtered out. But that inside route for 21 yards on a third and 10 to me was good. That was one of my plays. And then I think, you know, on the third and five to Ayuk for 10 yards. That's Those two, to me, were the two best plays, especially on the last drive of the game. The last drive of the game, when the chips were down, I thought that, to me, was the best moment. Yeah, no, that was the bear heart racing moment, according to Michael. For me, it came from the Buccaneers-Lions game, third and 15. It felt like the tide had started to turn towards Tampa's yeah. way. Detroit's up 24-17. They get the sack, and it's like, uh-oh, if they get this stop, can they go down the field and tie it? Well, third and 15, Goff over the middle to Amon Ross St. Brown. St. Brown fights for the extra yardage. They keep the chains moving. Four plays later, they make it a 31-17 game. That faith that they have in Goff that, hey, when times are rough, we're still going to have confidence in them. That's sort of been the symbol of this turnaround for the Detroit Lions. So that was my bare heart racing moment. And also, did you know that heart disease is the number one cause of death in the U.S. due to often invisible risk factors? Learn more and assess your heart risk factors at checkyourheartrisk.com. Brought to you by Bear Aspirin, the official sponsor of fans' hearts. That is the bare heart racing moments here. I take one on every day. Shuffle. I take one every day. 
There you go. That's good I stuff. I take a bear every day. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Because uh, just for that reason. I'll say this, too. I think we, not, we, we didn't talk about this on Monday, but I don't think enough credit was to the Lions recognize that when they lost Dean and they had to put McCollum in at corner, mm-hmm. that ultimately was the reason why the Lions won the game. Because the Lions went after McCollum. That's who they went after. They knew he couldn't cover their receivers one-on-one. And that's really smart. That was a really smart third and 15. I'm on St. Brown, around a comeback, boom, banged it in there. You know, that to me is players and plays working in, in harmony. You know, that's why you have people up in the box saying, hey, look, you know, that corner can't cover us. Or they just, that corner got hurt. We know that backup corner's no good. Go after them. But if you're so busy looking at your play sheet and you're not calling play and you're just basically going on to the next play that's on your third and sixth list and you're not aware of the players in the game, you lose out on stuff like that. That, to me, was really an incredible decision by whether it was Ben Johnson, whether it was Campbell or somebody else up in that press box that said, hey, we got to go after that kid. They can't cover us. Yeah, and that play ended up leading to Amon Ross St. Brown scoring a touchdown on that drive to go up 31-17, which spins it forward to Conference Championship Sunday, and that's where our DraftKings betting breakdown will begin, presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with Coach Shuffle, because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for the details. And Michael, let's begin in the AFC title game, Kansas City at Baltimore. Can't wait to see this one. First time the Ravens have hosted the AFC championship game over at DraftKings. They're a three and a half point favorite, total 44 and a half, but there's some fours out here in Las Vegas popping yeah. up interest Westgate's on the Baltimore got four, Ravens. Right? Yep, Westgate's, I saw Westgate's got a four too. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fours. I mean, look, you know, I think to me, the past, we talked about this based on analytics, right? 2018, Mahomes, 377 yards, two touchdowns. 2019, 374 yards, three touchdowns. 2020, 385, five touchdowns. 221, 343, three touchdowns. All meaningless. None of the players that are going to play in this game or some of them aren't there. So, again, it's you're using data from the past to analyze the future. No, doesn't work here. I think this is a... This is going to be, without Joe Tooney in there at left guard, he's not going to play. You know, this, this opens this line, which had been playing poorly, if you go back to the, 40, to the Raider game, it's going to come down to can this defensive front of the Ravens control and put pressure on, on Mahomes. That's really what it comes down to. The success of this, of this chief offense has more to do with their improvement in their offensive line, their willingness to give Pacheco the ball, their willingness of Mahomes to adjust his play, right? He's not getting enough credit for it. He's not trying to be throw it down the field. He's trying to be, I'll take the profits. We got some really good, I'll take the calls. I mean, the sale route out of, out of a, He's got three backs in the backfield, and he's got to cut the two tight ends are lined up offset in the backfield, and they get Kelsey on a sale route against A.J. Klein. Why do, you know, I mean, Klein can't cover anybody. On the first touchdown pass where Kelsey's wide open, you yep. know, he gets in a beater, and they run the cover three beater, and the corner doesn't sink on it, and Kelsey's wide open. I mean, they're taking, they're, they're matching up what they're doing. They're not trying to be explosive. You know, they, they weren't trying to make up the field score in three plays. And I think that's going to be the challenge, right? I think if you're, if you're Kansas City, you saw the Rams come in there and run the ball effectively. It was a back-and-forth game. I, I think that's kind of what we're going to have. We're going to have a back-and-forth game, and I think Lamar is going to be a real issue because this one thing about this, this, uh, 
I was going through it this morning, and I've got it in my notes here. This this chief defense, which is, you know, we know it's all the time. Everybody talks about how good they are. But when you break them down, they're 28th EPA play per allowed against the run. Okay, so you can run the – I mean, the Raiders ran the ball on them. Not until the end of the game. The Raiders did, completed one pass after the, third, after the first quarter. But, and the, the final drive of the game was the only drive they really ran the ball. If you study that – and, you know, their run grade and their tackling last week, I thought, was really poor. And if, it, they, don't, if they tackle the way they did against Buffalo, right, this will be a problem. And I think one of the things you got to take into consideration, forget about time of possession, because the Chiefs only ran 47 plays last week. They had the fewest time of possession in, in, in a long time, right? They only ran five third downs. And so their defense played a doubleheader last, last week, right? Yep. They played 76 plays. And if the Ravens control the ball for 76 plays, they're not going to have the ease of motion to move the ball against a, a defense that's much better than Buffalo. So who do you like? I like Baltimore. I do. I like Baltimore. I, I, I think the three and a half is a good number. I like Baltimore. I, I hate going against Mahomes, but at <laughs> yeah, some point, scary. you know – I'm, I also love Lamar. I think Lamar's really good. And I think this chief defense will have a hard time stopping the run. And I think they'll make plays on the secondary. You know, I think Snead is a good corner, but he can't cover everybody. With Andrews back and likely, I like it. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the under at the current numbers here. I, I'd play under 44 and a half. I like both of these defenses as well. But I, I can see that the Baltimore defense being something that Kansas City really hasn't faced all season long. That defense, especially at home, is ferocious. Those linebackers, they're going sideline to sideline there. I, I, I like the Ravens to win the game, but at current numbers, I'll go under 44 and a half. All right, the NFC title game, the Niners starting to see some movement here this morning, Michael. We're now out to seven and a half at DraftKings. The total yeah. has also ticked up to 51 and a half as well. Still waiting on the status of Debo Samuel. I, I mean, forget Debo. I mean, they're going to move the ball. Look, let's, let's go through it. Nick Mullins, uh, you know, they beat Nick Mullins. He threw for 411. You know, Dak threw for 345. Nick Mullins comes back again. They beat him again. He threw for 396. Stafford throws for 367. Mayfield throws for 349. Now, you know, they're going to throw the ball. They're going to move the ball. And that's why the number's moving. I, I, I still, I think it's seven and a half is too much. I think it'll come back to seven. I might take the points, but I think the 49ers win. I agree with the move to the over there at the current numbers, 51 and a half, but there's still a 51 out there if you make sure you shop around. But I see a lot of points in this game. The Niners, they'll score a lot. I think Detroit will have success as well, but I think we get the two home teams advancing to the Super Bowl ultimately here in Las Vegas to where we get a rematch of the Christmas night game between the Ravens and the 49ers. All right, that does it for this edition of the GM Shuffle. Thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. Thank you to all of you out there for listening and viewing. That's why we got all these ad reads now because of your guys' support. So make sure you continue to subscribe, rate, and review. Michael, enjoy the games this weekend, and I will talk to you on Monday. Thanks, Benny. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.